But I have to say, uh, towards the end of his life, uh, he did say to me, Breti, the worst mistake I made in my life was leaving my homeland. This week, episode 141 is a poignant episode of the Assyrian podcast. Our guest this week is Shushan Tawar, former and long-serving treasurer of the Assyrian Aid Society Australia. In the interview, Shushan discusses her arrival in 1960s Australia as a young girl in a pioneering Assyrian family, but unique in that her Assyrian patriotism had grown in her many years in the diaspora. Her patriotism manifested in the Assyrian Aid Society Australia, where she served as treasurer until last year. In her years of service to the AAS, Shushan returned to the homeland many times, and it was interesting to hear her views on the homeland despite being firmly established in Australia. While the interview was recorded in February this year, in it she remarked on AAS Iraq President Ashur Sargon Asghariya and the challenges that COVID poses for Assyrians in the homeland with such an ill-prepared health system. The interview is unknowingly ominous, as Ashur Sargon Asghariya himself contracted COVID-19 and left this earth on Friday the 9th of April 2021 to become a shining star in our nation's sky, as beautifully said by his comrade Yaqub Giwargis Yaqub. He was only 47 years of age. As well as being the president of AAS Iraq, Menachar Abi Ashur Sargon Asghariya was also a Politburo member of the Assyrian Democratic Movement, or Zawa in Assyrian. He leaves behind his wife Rezina, two daughters Shamiram and Berta, and son Sanjiro. We begin the interview with Shushan Tawar, and after the interview you will hear a short but sweet remark in Assyrian from ADM Deputy Secretary General and Politburo member Yaqub Giwargis Yaqub at Ashur's funeral in Iraq. May he rest in peace. Before we begin, I'd just like to take the opportunity to remind you to make sure you subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us wherever and whenever you listen to them. Also, if you know someone who should be on the podcast, please reach out to us. You can find more information about nominating future guests on our website. This episode is sponsored by the Yashana Partners, a husband and wife real estate team. Are you considering purchasing or selling a home in Arizona or California? John and Rita are available to help make your next real estate decision into a seamless transaction. You can contact the Ashanas at 209-968-9519. That's 209-968-9519. Get to know them a bit more by checking out their website, theashanapartners.com, and that's spelled O-U-S-H-A-N-A. The Assyrian Podcast is also brought to you by Tony Kalagarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kalagarakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication. He has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or telephone 847-982-9516. That's 847-982-9516. And now, Shushan Tawar.
Shushan Tower, welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. Thank you, Ninos. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) It's great being here. We're actually at the uh, Assyrian-Australian Association offices in uh, Sydney, and I'm wearing a mask, but I'm wearing a mask because it's actually a great noise filter. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not because it's more comfortable than yeah. <laughs> it is hot it is hot it's pretty hot outside it's about 40 oh. 42 degrees I was only 37 I thought but yeah for, would probably, oh really 42 my car said 42 okay. <laughs> I believe you <laughs> that's great yeah there's a long history in this office oh definitely actually not just the office itself the grounds uh it Brings back a lot of memories. I mean, fifty odd years of memories here. Yeah, absolutely. Our absolutely. fathers and friends and people that we, you know, we, we've known over the years and known and grown apart. Mm, uh, mm. We're still here, which is great. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Tell us about your family history with this place, the Syrian Australian Association. Oh, look. Uh, Every time I think about it, it's, it gives me a funny feeling. My dad, from his younger days, when he arrived to Australia, I think the first week, uh, I believe, he was typing the Constitution of the Australian Association. That, that's in 1969, November 1969. So ever since then, uh, dad was involved with the association itself. And then, of course, years later, when they uh, amazingly bought the, the property and build a, a club, Ninwa club, and years and years after that, maintaining that beautiful, beautiful. We used to go to these parties and we used to meet our friends there. It was not just the 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 buying of the land; it was just this community togetherness. We we did everything together. And in those days, there were only sm- a few handful of people that sort of knew each other pretty close, and so memories are are beautiful. I'm I'm proud of of those of our fathers what, for what they've done in the past because without them today I have some so many great friends that I still have contact with because of those times that we spent together for years and years and years. Mm. I, I I guess they were the pioneers, the first pioneers that arrived in Australia. So they did a wonderful job, amazing job, especially uh, buying the land in. Um, here in, in, in well, it's not Fairfield. It's it's court, used to be called Smithfield, but now, I think now it's Denzer Park. Mm-hmm. And then building the club, and for years they used to have these beautiful Assyrian parties. We used to enjoy so much because that was when we were very young, and we used to come and meet here and have a good great time with. And sometimes they'd bring a lot of times we'd bring Assyrian singers from from overseas, and especially from America. So it was a great time and a good. It's a good thing to look back to. Was this in the 70s? Definitely, 70s. Yeah, yeah. Right through, you know, early 70s, right through 80s and so forth. And then eventually our fathers started to retire and other people came in and, mm. and, and so forth and so forth. So, mm, 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 mm. yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. So you were born here? No, no. Uh, I was born in, in Kirkuk, uh, Iraq, 1957. So we're only there for a short while. I don't have many memories of Kirkuk at all. Then my parents moved to Baghdad. Dad used to work for the oil company, IPC. Yeah. So he moved to Baghdad and Dad built a home there in Baghdad. And then not only, I think it was only four years afterwards, he decided to to migrate, to actually leave Iraq. Why did he want to leave Iraq? 
I think I've always heard him to s- saying to us, Arabai um, Hamasha, the word Arabai, Arabai Arabs, uh, was always a, a problem for dad, uh, not having enough uh, freedom of speech, being uh, criticized, and there was a lot of racism, of course, uh, you know, uh, against the Assyrians, against their religion, and so forth. But not as bad as these days. There was not. There was small wars, but nothing like in the last twenty or thirty years that's been happening in Iraq. So, and then what Dad did? He went to London for a short trip with Mum, mm. and as soon as he was, he saw another world. Like for instance, the uh, the West or the English uh, countries. He went. He came when he came back to Iraq. He made a decision to leave Iraq, mm. and that's what I think that concreted his decision to to leave Iraq and wanted to go somewhere else. It's one decision to leave Iraq, but it's also another decision to go to Australia. Yes. Uh, so Dad wanted to come to Australia, but not Mum. So Dad had his brother here, you see, and that's why he wanted to, to come to Australia to be with his younger brother. I see. But he left his older brother in Iraq, so he was like in, in two worlds. And yeah. He, and then the other thing, I think the other reason he, he, you know, I have two brothers and with Iraq, you, you you know you need to have to, you had to go to army once mm. you, re, uh, you reach a certain age. Conscription. Yeah, so he, he had to he wanted to get his sons out of there as well. But the main reason was because he he wasn't comfortable living among the the way they were treated mm. back then, and that was the main reason he left Iraq. Mm. But I have to say, uh, towards the end of his life, uh, he did say to me, Breti. The worst mistake I made in my life was leaving my homeland. That always stayed in my mind since then. It was a quite emotional statement coming from Dad. I'm sorry to hear about your father oh. passing. How long ago was this? Um, 2006. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. Quite recent. Oh, yeah. It feels like that, but it's been a while, so yeah. So every time I come to this beautiful building, Nenwa Club, or we... We used to call it Ninwe Clubs, no more Ninwe Club. It's Ninwe, mm. but not a club. It, it, I feel I'm at home. I feel, I feel my dad around. <laughs> Indeed. And, of course, his friends. Yeah. He, he loved his friends, the group that he was with. They enjoyed their life together here. Um, so, yeah, and, and so when we migrated, we left Iraq, we went to Lebanon, and we stayed there for a little while, and then eventually Dad said to Mum, we've got to make a move. So Dad and my younger brother came and stayed at, over you, Otuma's uh, house, because they were friends from back from Iraq, and they stayed there for a little while, and then eventually we joined Dad. Okay, yeah. And so uh, I went through primary, late primary here, high school, without speaking a word of English, but you know, trying to understand. Not much education in, in the primary high school here. I didn't, I didn't get the education that I I felt against what. We went through in Iraq. Yes. Education in Iraq is just so much, I wouldn't call it advanced, but harder. Yes. It was, um, you had to actually study. You could not, not study and pass and move on to the next uh, class. Where yes. here, uh, you didn't really do much study. This is a public school I'm talking about. Sure. Not a private school. So if you didn't pass, it was okay. I found it so loose. Uh, mm. Um, and no commitment to study, so didn't do much with the high school, and so after leaving school and did jobs here and there, and and, and really just wasted a lot of time not doing much with my life until 
at l- later years I decided to go back to studies and did I took up um, uh, advanced diploma in accountancy. Then I did my degree in accounting, and then eventually I, I got myself a. We're gonna we're gonna get back to that in a second and, okay. and your accounting experience yep. <laughs> and where where you've used it. But I wanted to ask you one question about Iraq. You yes. are in a, I would say, a privileged position whereby you were born in Iraq and spent some of your childhood there, and then you returned later on. I did, and you must have an opinion about how it's changed, and you must also have an opinion on the future of of our people. In the homeland? Uh, the first question, how it's changed. So when uh, when I had the opportunity, it was an exciting opportunity, I have to tell you, to go back to Iraq. Uh, and this was about 2010. My mum and I went back. Dad was gone by then, of course. And we didn't uh, travel to Baghdad where we were sort of, ra- where I was sort of, I, could, I had memories of. So we went to Nohadra. Today they call it Duhuk, but it's Assyrian. It's Nohadra. Nohadra. I keep saying to everybody, it's Nohadra. <laughs> In any case, we went to Nohadra and we stayed there for a couple of weeks. And um, I have to say, when, when the plane started to go from Syria over Iraq, I had to, I said to mum, we're over Iraq? Mm. She said, yes. And it just tears started to, uh, emotions and Anyway, so when we got there, we, we drove. When we got there, I, I loved everything about the things that we did there because all is all about Assyrian, nothing else. So it has changed in many many ways because I remember in my dad's days he used to say it was they were very limited with things that they used to do. For instance, the the, the dramas they used to try and do and the functions where in in Nohadra, northern Iraq. Syrians were a bit more protective there under the Kurds, so they had the opportunity... To As in protected by the Kurds or protective from the Kurds? By the Kurds. Okay. Um, so they were, they were a lot more freer. They could do a lot more. Um, I mean, for example, we, we've got about 34-odd primary and high schools in, in, in the whole of Iraq, and it's the, the, the whole curriculum is in Assyrian. Mm. So that's amazing on it in itself. So when we visited those class, and there was none of that uh, when my, my dad's days. When we left Iraq, there was none of that. I believe in Kirkuk, and because I don't have memory, and I hear memory, um, stories about my parents, they had an Assyrian school, but I'm not sure if the level of the subjects were uh, as a, as far as um, you know, the normal primary and, and primary schools were actually yeah, they would get certifications that they were finished their high school. So I'm not I wasn't sure about that, but I know the schools today that we have in Nohadra and all over Iraq, definitely the curriculum is translated from Arabic to Assyrian, and it's all taught in Assyrian. That's fantastic. Subject. That's really fantastic. Sitting the first time in one of those classes, watching. Uh, the teacher speaking in Assyrian and, and the children, you know, in the primary school and high school, talking to each other and talking to the school uh, teacher, it, it just uh, something, a, a treasure. I've, you know, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life when I saw that. And not many people actually understand how important it, that is to our culture. 
today especially. Mm-hmm. So, why, why is that? Well, first of all, I mean, uh, because we're designing few of us left in Iraq, mm-hmm. and because of all these atrocities that we've been through, the, the language itself, if we don't keep those schools going and the language going alive in our homeland, the, the language becomes completely endangered. So we won't, the Assyrian language will completely disappear. And that's something we've got to really keep working hard at. Why? Why the language? Why is the language important? We are Assyrian. It, true, it, it's one of our identity. Uh, so sure, we can say we're Assyrian, but hey, what what is Assyrian? What language do you speak? What's your culture? What do you do? What's your? So one of the things that identifies a culture, like Assyrian, it, it, by their language. Okay. You're right. You don't have to speak Assyrian to be Assyrian. I, I, I agree with you. If you've got that Assyrian fire in you, as they say, but it, the language keeps you going. Funny enough, you say that when we left for the first time, Nohadra going to, uh, we traveled to Turkey, Mum and I. So I grabbed a newspaper at the airport, and it was in English. It was um, Turkish. Newspaper. So, mm. And I was just reading just general. And then I went to the... Because when we left Iraq, driving from Nohadra to Erbil, it's about a two-hour drive in a car. Both mum and I were very frustrated and angry. Uh, at our... At, I have to say the word, at the uh, Kurds. Mm. Because what we found out while we were there, 60 years ago, Nohadra was all Assyrians. Today, there's only a very small amount of Assyrians. It's all Kurds and it's all built up. It's like their city, not ours anymore. And you see their flag on the mountain from a distance. Mm. You see all that and you feel furious. And then I questioned the driver. He was Assyrian, taking us from... I said, you know, I feel so angry and so frustrated. He says, Why? He said, we've left our home. And, you know, he was meaning us, of course. He says, Assyrians have left their homes. They're going to take it. It's there for them. It's easy for them to take it. He said, it's our fault. I mean, he was living there. He tried to say it indirectly to me. And he was spot on. He was right on on the money, as they say. Mm. Once we arrived to um, the airport, what... What made me feel a tiny little bit better, and and just this is towards my Assyrianism, reading the social part in that paper about the Kurds. So the Kurds have um, a language that's borrowed and begged and mixed up with all so different languages, mm. and and only very small amount of people in in Turkey, uh, Turks I meant to say not Kurds in Turkey actually speak the, the the native language. So you mean Turkish is, is very much a, a, a mix, a melange yes. of languages? Yeah, their general language is not their normal native language. That's right. They've borrowed a lot of words from Arabic. Yes. Greek. Yeah, exactly. As, uh, even Assyrian. Um, yeah. And it, but it's at its root, Mongol language. Yes. Because they're a Mongol Mong- yes. race. Um, so, the, so themselves and the Kurds and the Iranians are, are from the same... In the uh, Indo-Aryan language group. Yeah. 
So when I saw the and there was the the commenting was that they were struggling, struggling. I mean, Turkey Turkey is such a vast country. They were struggling with the language to keep it safe. Mm. They didn't teach it in the schools much. So, and I thought to myself, wow, what? Look at this. I just left Nohadra knowing we've got so many schools, all in Assyrian, keeping the language up in the middle of somewhere that we don't even run or govern, mm. although it's our homeland. Mm. And he's mighty Turkey, can't even keep its own native going in the way we did. So I was very proud of our Assyrians. Yeah. And it made me feel, I said, Mom, I feel better now yeah. reading this. <laughs> Uh, because now we we can say we're doing well, even though we're not we don't have our own homeland. Did your mum want to come along with you? Oh, definitely. Every time, uh, been there about three times. And if I say to her today, Mum, without COVID, of course, Mum, Dazach, Dazach, ah, she's ready. She'll be packed and ready before I am. <laughs> <laughs> she's eighty-five. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! Uh, Touch wood. So, and every time, if I can continue, mm, um, tell please. me when to stop because I, I've had a lot of memories being in Iraq. So I've, I went back twice after that, mm. um, and I'm really, t- to be honest, I'd like to go back soon again. As soon as the COVID is over, I want to go back and just be part of them again. We've chatted before this interview, and I'm going to be open and honest with you. Uh, you weren't familiar with the Assyrian podcast, no. And I, I just want to point you out to prior episodes where we have interviewed, well not, not me but uh, my colleagues have interviewed women, particularly women, and this is very impressive, women from the West who've actually moved back to the homeland, moved back to Iraq. One of them, uh, there's two of them, Susan Yonan and uh, there's also Melinda Khobiar and they live in Erbil. Oh, I think one of them lives in Adabil. One of them lives outside of Adabil. And they've shared their experience as Westerners born in the US, living in Iraq, Assyrian women. And I thought that was amazing. It is. Uh, I think it's really a, a beacon. They are a beacon of, of, of uh, where we should be uh, And it's not an easy going. thing to do. I mean, because no. you, you know your standard of living is completely different. Mm-hmm. The culture is different, the language is different, although you've got Assyrians living there, but still the government is different every way. But, you know, it, it's how you apply yourself, always, I think. So if you really have that go and you want to really be there, well, you can do it. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's a bit hard initially, I guess, trying to get used to the, uh, the way things are done there. Eventually... You can live and be comfortable. Mm. Yeah. M- may I ask what brought you to Iraq? Yes, of course. Um, so uh, it's been a little while. I've been uh, um, part of this organisation, one of the amazing organisations, I think, on this face of earth, for the Assyrians, that is. Mm. Assyrian Aid Society. Oh, this organisation. <laughs> it's, it's it is a world-famous organisation <laughs> that nearly every listener to the Assyrian podcast knows Oh, okay. Or donates to already. Uh, well, Lil, I'm so I'm so <laughs> thankful and grateful. <laughs> oh no, you, no, no. Our listeners know the Assyrian um, know the Assyrian Aid Society very well. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 nice to know. That's really nice to know. I, you know, I, I being with an organization for nearly twenty years, mm. um, 
didn't have this such a beautiful feedback before. I mean, you know, we're involved in a lot of the radios and so forth. There's no feedback with Assyrians much. You just they 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 pre- just presume you you know everything's fine. But when you get a feedback like that, it feels great. Um, and I'm going to share it with my colleagues, with my committee people. So early uh, 2000, 1999, my, my brother actually was a founder. I mean, he used to, there was a few people that used to work, they would go to people's houses and, and, and collect money and it wasn't registered and so forth. Mm. So my brother met with one of those people and he said, look, let me take it on and, and really bring it up to... Who did your brother speak with? Was he speaking with anyone in the United States about this? No, The, no. the US chapter? No, no, someone from Australia. Oh, okay. Someone from Australia, uh, Frederick... Uh, Oraha. Y- yes. Mm. So in those days, I think they used to do this manual work, very little collect. So there was a movement. Um, and then, you know, you uh, said, no, we've got to do something about this. Mm. So he took it on. You asked your brother. Yes. Yeah. So we got registered then, and then only a couple of years later, he asked me to become the treasurer. And I just that's when I just started doing my uh, university degree. So you just started your uni degree then? Yeah, I, okay. I was 40 Okay. when I started doing my d- degree. I was late, but... Ne- never no, mind. don't say that. I enjoyed actually doing Congratulations. It. Thank you. <laughs> you know, career change. Oh, yes, I did. Y- yeah. You're not stuck with the one line of no, work. No, like, I, I really like the change, so... And t- to better. And so doing that degree and doing a treasury work, it mm. sort of helped both ways and help more Syrian Aid Society, which... Mm. So Treasury, for the first 10 years, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't travel to Iraq till 10 years of, of me being there. And then I stayed another 10 years. So during the next 10 years, uh, I spent... I went to Iraq three times. But while that was the second 10 years of, of um, me being with Syrian Aid Society, I mean... Everyone, as you said, they know Syrian society, what it does initially is its its main core is actually to keep the Assyrians in Iraq and to keep the language preserved there. That's the, the whole crock. Is that the core mission? Yes. Keeping, so the Assyrians don't flee Iraq so we can still have a home and, and eventually maybe one day we all hope to have that some some sort of autonomy there. Mm. And that's the, that's the basic of it. Mm. Even, I'm not saying a government, mm. but just something. Uh, and especially, as we know, Nineveh Plains, that's all mm. been uh, fighting for. So over the years, Assyrian Aid Society Australia was able to gain the status for the United Nations, for Iraq, to, to be able to represent Assyrians in, at United Nations. Who, who afforded that? We, we did here. We, we, we put all the application together. Uh, for Assyrian Aid Society Iraq. So okay, so Assyrian on behalf of Assyrian Aid Society Iraq, Iraq, you've made an application to the United mm-hmm. Nations yeah. asking for, uh, was it? Uh, it's a it's a status where you can you can be you can apply. You, what happens with that? You will be able to attend all these meetings there. And is it an Indigenous Peoples Indigenous, Forum or yes, something like that? Yes, that's the one. It's exactly that one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's other others and and. Ashur Skarir, which is the president of Assyrian Aid Society of in Iraq. Iraq. Yeah. He also attends Geneva, uh-huh. uh, where the human rights, uh, human rights, uh, they meet regularly there, twice a year, I think they do. Mm. But more so with us, with Australia, we, we always went to New York for our meetings mm-hmm. once a year. 
So that started to happen in 2013 mm. when we got our status there. Do you, you, we went to New York because it's much closer. <laughs> well, we we only we only knew about the the the, um, the New York at the time. We, we I we we knew about Geneva, and it was actually going to Geneva is much more it has more impact because it's all to do with human rights. Mm. Where mm. in New York is more indigenous uh, type of thing. So. Um, Were there voting? Was there any voting in in these forms, or was it basically a no voting? No, is is basically a um, you, you advocacy? Yes, I mean they'd have an agenda. To, yeah. It'll be two weeks full of agenda, yeah. and they'll be talking on different topics. So yeah. each topic that you think you can contribute to it, you'd put a statement through. Were you and meeting with other indigenous groups around the world? No, no, we we tried to. It gets a bit more complicated. Mm. We were on our own uh, each time, but we would meet the Aborigines of Australia there. I'd always go in and take photos mm-hmm. and talk, which I really enjoyed being with them. Um, and there'll be several Aborigines uh, presenting their their society there. Because I heard your accent. <laughs> well, actually, I heard them. I saw them. <laughs> um, so, and you, there's hundreds and hundreds of people there in the assembly. And so you deliver a statement... And they, you know, everyone hears you. Yeah. Those statements are always prepared by a, a Iraq, mm-hmm. and then we we would present it. it. It wouldn't be like myself sitting there and reading. I wouldn't write them. I would make sure that it was written in Iraq because it's their situation, how they are, and we would present it at the at that level. Mm. And it's been happening since 2013. Each year, of course, except for last year, we missed out. We may even miss out this year. But once COVID is over, it, we will be back on that again. Have Have you noticed any outcomes from these meetings? Have you noticed any uh, it, results? Imme- immediate outcomes. Recognitions? Yes, yes. Uh, initially, there was immediate outcomes. And I don't want to go on, on this to, to go in details, but initially because there was some constraints at the time, and I recall by doing what we did, that constraint was relieved in Iraq, but and then we were at, at times we were uh, limited to what we say. We got orders from Iraq coming in from the government to say can't say this and so forth. And then eventually uh, we were okay. So we, we knew eventually how to react in those meetings. So mm. we don't we're not doing too much damage to our people in Iraq. I see. And we were told if we have any issues... You don't want to elaborate on the sort of damage. No, and, and I don't want to... But the, we, we do have a representation that they go to Iraq from United Nations yeah. and talk to Ashur in private. So there's all that okay. um, going on. Mm-hmm. And and Ashur himself um, takes quite a few trips each year to Geneva, mm-hmm. attends these human rights meetings. Mm-hmm. It's, all, it's all about our people, what they're going through in Iraq mm-hmm. at present time. And as you know, and I mean, there's a lot of land grabbing. There's a lot of issues with that, um, and that's still happening today. I mean, it's the Kurds land grabbing. Yes, yes. How do they do it? Well, they, sometimes they put people under. Um, for instance, I think one time they burnt the whole uh, plantation of, of trees of, of fruit trees. They burnt them. They scare them off and doing these things so they economically. They can't survive and they leave. 
you know, so that a lot of that happens. Um, and they try to, um, for instance, some villages, Assyrians don't allow non-Assyrians to buy. They try to buy them and pay the person who's leaving that village more money so they can bribe them and so they can take that house and eventually take over the village. Mm. There's a lot of that. And, and not much, um, I mean, they can do so much, but there's not a lot of they can do. A lot of that happens in Iraq. Even though, I mean, when we talk about people, a lot of those larger villages, most of the young ones, for instance, I'll give you a good example, which I've noticed every time I've been there, our young people are uh, finishing their uni, universities. There's no jobs for them. The Kurds will not give them the good jobs. They will give them doing cleaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't give them the job, as, for instance, if they're engineers or they're teachers or you know, a good profession. They won't give them those jobs. So those young people, hundreds and hundreds of them have left Iraq to to better life in uh, and career in, in Europe and here in, in America. Uh, it's only the older people and, and a lot of those villages have, are staying behind. So you can see how weak that makes our cause in Iraq. Mm. Very weak. Yes. The, the, the prob- the, our problem is very big. And it's not just... It's not just us, it's Iraq as a whole. Iraq is in a, especially today, and I think it's really in a bad situation. The whole country. The whole country. Yeah, of course. Now it's it's between the Iranians and the Americans, so, so it's always somebody trying to uh, rule it, if you like, outside Iraq. It's not the Iraqis. I mean, you've got, you've got a very weak government, mm. as we know, and corrupt government, I remember doing a course and there was a list of countries, the highest corrupt and the least corrupt. Uh, out of the 300 countries, 298, the highest corrupt Iraq was. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the corruption there. Mm. Imagine the society that lives under that corruption for years and years and years. Our people live there as well. Sure. The, the countries, are, if you like, politically, economically, socially broken mm-hmm. in every aspect people are sur- and then now with covid speaking to ashur only only about 6 8 weeks ago he said shushan situation is really bad um, humanitarian wise humanitarian wise with covid normal pu- not just Assyrians, but just public people were to go into a hospital to have just uh, get oxygen he said it's so hard mm. um and the government is not really doing much with that. So the COVID situation is pretty bad. As soon as Society Australia has done a couple of fundraising, which would like to thank everyone, uh, which they really contributed to it. Uh, only about six months ago we did that. Um, we were able to help with the to buy uh, equipment and hygiene stuff and food for people that couldn't get food. You see, it's not just the COVID people are struggling with. Economically, people haven't been paid for. They work, so the ones that are working, mm-hmm. uh, because Baghdad, the central government, and Kurds have this conflict over uh, territory, fi- fi- financials more so because mm. the oil business. Yeah. Uh, one doesn't pay the other, so they don't pay their workers and so forth. So the Kurds are not paying the people that are actually working um, for months and months. So people and there's no government benefits like we have here. Mm. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. How do people survive? Mm. Some people have these 
emergency survival things that they keep for themselves, mm-hmm. but not all of them are in the same situation. Mm. So how do you, you know, how do you look after those? This is where CNA society comes in. This is what's so important. That is, and it's not just the humanitarian aspect. There's all these other departments. It's like a feel like a mini government where it looks after the education part, the humanitarian part, infrastructure, infrastructure. I mean, how many water channels uh, Suna Estada has built? She, uh, quite I've seen heaps. Every time I read Tree of Life, yeah. which is your annual publication, yes. Yes. I always see one. Yes. Shakita, Shakita, yeah. Shakita. Well, last time, my 2017, I was there. But it's important. Uh, oh, the, this is their uh, money, water for their col- uh, yeah. agriculture. So That's right. Their livelihood. S- livelihood. So we were going to Nahla from Nohadra, a drive. Terrible, terrible road. Again, Kurds government. Because How far is Nahla from Nahada? It's a long long drive. It, to be honest with you, I couldn't give estimate maybe uh-huh. an hour, out, two hours. Yeah, on a really bad road. I mean, we were driving on a four-wheel drive. Uh, within half an hour, I was trying to said, I've got to re- stop the car. I'm, I'm yeah, feeling sick. sick. It was that bad. Wow. So I said to myself, oh, you know, look at the government. They know this road is for the Assyrians. Mm. They're not going to fix it. Mm. Anyway, so we took a drive there and we went to this um, project that was they were working on. Uh, local men uh, working on the water channel project. We took photos there. They were building concrete, proper a wide channel for the water. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, of course, eventually completed. But Assyrian Ace Study doesn't just collect funds from just the Assyrian Ace Study worldwide. It has many other organizations, non-Assyrian organizations that actually contribute to those projects. Is that right? Yes. And they're always listed on the tree of – we always list them on the tree of life, which you just mentioned. Yeah. What happens each year – Are they mostly – are they these Christian-type charities? It, well, there's a couple of those, yes. Um, you've got the ones from Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one or two churches in Germany. These are churches, not not Assyrian churches. These are German churches that actually contribute to our. Uh, there was a Geneva. There was a company in Geneva years ago, Sol Foundation, I recall, that they used to help with uh, projects. And depending, it didn't have to be a, a, a water channel. It could be anything. Mm. We also have mobile clinics. These mobile clinics, again in 2017, they'd have a doctor and an assistant, a pharmacist, a driver, and they would have everything prepared, the medicines, and would go from village to village once a week. They'd take uh, right around those villages where they needed medication, free of charge, no charge. Were the doctors Assyrian or...? Yes. Uh, she was... Krasiantes, um, Mosulanta. Uh, so she was from... Oh, Mosul- Yes. Yeah. Yes. I might offend, I call them Assyrians in denial. <laughs> That's all right. Look, they're all human beings, yeah, so it correct. doesn't matter. Um, it was so good to see that uh, the people from those villages, I remember Bakhitme, I don't know if you've heard of Bakhitme. Closest to Nohadra is one of the villages. And so Assyrians being so kind and generous, not only did they serve the Assyrian people there with their blood pressure and medications and, and, and all that sort of thing, mm. They had Yazidians living with, among them, and they were able to come to to get medication as well. We did 
food rations as well to those villages because I was part of them because I wanted just to be part of everything that, that mm. they were doing. So they gave out food rations and it would include rice and oil and tea and those sort of things. So Assyrians gave to, to the non-Assyrians as well. So the Assyrian society would not only provide anything that would give out, not, not just to the Assyrians, whoever lived in that village as well. So you had Yazidis. Sorry? There were Yazidis yes. living in that village? Yes, Yazidis in, um, in that Bechitmev village, I recall. Mm. Let me go back uh, 2008. Uh, there was a there was a whole, there was a, a small war in in Mosul, and I remember a Syrian society back then. Uh, there was a lot of Assyrians trapped in there. They needed food and stuff, so a Syrian society drove into Mosul, mm-hmm. and it had blankets and food and all sorts of things in there, and they were helping the non-Assyrians that they were in trouble as well. I found that fascinating because mm. that was my first, what, eight years in Assyrian society, the first time I heard that we were helping the non-Assyrians, like the Arabs of, of the, of the some locals. Pe- some people would find that more than fascinating. Some people would find that curious. Uh, good, I hope that positive curious. <laughs> Not, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not speaking on my behalf. No. I'm just saying that I know that, that there would be people who might say, why are they helping non-Assyrians? Well, you know, when you say, say for instance, so, so when you're living in a country like that and you're under a, a, a huge um, uh, crisis, so people come together naturally under crisis, and I think that's how Assyrian society works. Mm-hmm. And I think not only Assyrian, I think any other organisation under crisis like this, they would help each other. You just can't help one human being and not the other. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, we're all human beings, and I think that's where... That's how I see an ace study things. Mm, 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 mm. Um, so I found I found that fascinating mm. at the time. But then I, I thought to myself, this is a Syrian study. This is in the crisis, and even now, I mean, as I said, when 2017, because 2017 was a relif- reflection of 2014 ISIS. Three years after that, people were still stuck in places where they shouldn't be. They're still out of there. There were still refugees in Erbil. Uh, correct. I, I do, I have to say, I, I've seen miles and miles of tents, not Assyrians, Yazidians, living in tents still till today. This is 2017 I saw that. Three years later, they're still living in those tents. So it was really heartbreaking mm. to see that. Mm. And the government, of course, not like Australia, you know, we, we have such a great, great country and great government, mm. great system, to help people everywhere, and that doesn't exist there. Mm. You've got to help yourself there, and that's why they they know how to survive, and so they they always understand there's always going to be crisis, and they have all these emergency survival kits mm. to to keep them going. Mm-hmm. I want to ask about your Assyrianism. Has that always been a spark inside you, always. or was it lit some t- at some time? Always from, I recall, a good question. So not so much in Iraq, because I think I was too young to understand. But coming out here and then went to high school, the teaching in, at school didn't interest me. You know, the classes didn't interest me at all because it was so different to Iraq. So there, there was no discipline in the class. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, when you come back, when you come from Iraq, you could not even 
speak a boo to your teacher. Mm-hmm. So you always had to be, uh, you know, in direct with the teacher, complete discipline, complete respect. There was none of that here. Mm. So I lost interest very early. So when we used to go to the library, all I did was trying to find an Assyrian book so I could read about Assyrians. Why? Um, because I'm, I, I, they, my parents said to me we're Assyrians, and that's all I knew. And we'd have, we'd speak Assyrian, yeah. didn't know how to write, read Assyrian, mm-hmm. but I wanted to know about Assyrians. Mm. So I would just pick up books in the library and just read about Assyrians. It started then. Ancient Assyrians, I bet. Yes. Yes, of course. So I started doing that then. And then, of course, when I left high school, all my friends were Assyrians. So I knew and what what was missing, and I knew that, not the history itself because I knew that was going to come later, the language, the reading and writing. Mm. I felt like I was empty not knowing Mm -hmm. how to read and write my own language. Mm. So when, when I... Matured enough, I went back to school. Which school? Well, the, I went to couple, couple. There was one school in then is it St John's Park near the church? Yeah. So back then there was uh, someone who was teaching us. I can't recall the name of that teacher. This is a Syrian school. Yes. Okay. I believe, I, I believe it was. Um, I can't remember. I don't want to mention any names, but sure. I know we went to another school was mm-hmm. run by AAA mm-hmm. in at Fairfield, uh, where they call now the ARC. Mm-hmm. Oman now was our teacher, mm-hmm. and he taught us Assyrian. Mm. So for me to start to read Assyrian, I found that I've found my treasure. Mm. It was like a treasure to me. I don't know what what value would you put on a treasure. There's no mm. value actually. Mm. It, it, it was like I lived, I was living. That's how I felt. So when a Sunni society, so when you start to put things together, you think, okay, you're, you love a Syrian. A Sunni society looks education. In Iraq, it's, it's all handled by a Sunni society, mm. education, Syrian education. They both fitted very well. My, my love for my language and what a Sunni society does for Syrians in Iraq to keep the language going. It was very important for me. Still mm. is today very much. <laughs> Language. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think being, what is it? Is it a woman thing? I mean, I don't have any children. So I think if I did have, they would be all fluently reading and writing Assyrian, you know, knowing the history. So now, I mean, I read a lot about our history, uh, comment about history, and just being with my nationality. I mean, I, lo- I love being with, being Assyrian. Um, I feel very privileged to be a Syrian. Mm, likewise, I feel the same. I feel the same. I I learned. I taught. I went to a Syrian school when I was young. I learned Assyrian, but I didn't take much with me from from the classes. To be very blunt and honest, I taught myself Assyrian. Well done <laughs> on the internet, and um, oh, yeah. I'm also fortunate to have the internet. You didn't have the internet when you were young, so no. it wasn't. It was hard to find it was the relevant information that you're after whereas it was i just searched for it and it just came straight yeah. through and i taught myself syrian so i can read and write Assyrian. my problem is my vocabulary is weak yeah that's my that's my issue practice yeah um speaking at home and this is another thing my dad and uh, when we we're growing up um 
you know, the English, it just dominates you because you're at school all day or at work all day. Mm. So you speak English most of the time. And so you bring that home. It was like that. I think, oh. So uh, at home, it had to be Assyrian. Yeah. I mean, not just Assyrian. No Arabic, no English, Assyrian. Yeah. So dad was very strict with that. Yeah. And I think that's why we were able, especially my younger brother, he, he was only five. Mm. Um, he can still speak Assyrian. And he, he actually went to a Syrian school to read and write. Mm-hmm. Um, he, was, he had the privileges in those days. So mm. and we didn't have, we got older. But as you get older, I think uh, once you mature, if you have that love and passion, you will pursue it, and, I, and that's what we did. Mm. I did that. My brother, my older brother, did the same, and mm. my actually my younger sister. Now she's actually studying Assyrian. That's great. And encourage every adult to do that. Yeah, they'll find a new world. That's what I. That's how I found myself in a new. I was alive again. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Shushantawa, thank you very, very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. I enjoyed it thoroughly. You're, you're welcome. اليوم كت خانشرة من رافت زوعة راخل مشانويلة هنا بتهاوي خا كخوة من الجلجانة قشمية أمتن سب لوي عاشور ليلك شفت أمرخ قالة مشانويلة مثل برشلة منا لا خانشرة بتهاوي كخوة قشمية ذي أمتا من سبب لوي عاشور شويقة اللي خشوفها رابا قورة قو زوعة قو ماثد قاني قو برور وقو أمتا كلها لوي عاشور شويقة اللي خشوفها قو لبواثت ألفايد ناشت سنيقة قو متخدني أسرشني بشيطة لإيدة هيارتها وهم ماشي إيوا مارة رخمة وخا قروتانا طلاشة قبط خاتر زد قد أمتا قبط خاتر زدقي ذاها أمتا طلمتا لا أخشي قبط خاتر برور دوس إديون برور بخساري لخا أرزا مردا خا جورا مردا إنا أب أمتا بخساري لأب زوعة بخساري لأها جورا مردا لذ خبران الخيمة وخشيخة دزوثة أمرخلق أشونايت لوية عاشور إنا قولا يوالخ قلوية عاشور قلوية خينتين أمشوني قم لوية عاشور لخا جبرور شركة شوفان الخيمة أخنا نفشاني إيوخ أمي نايل دي مزلتا بتأزق لقامة حمتها وأسقوياته خيلاً دارخلة واجبوت المكملخلة أخنوخن يتون قمة وأخنوخن أخنن إيوخ باروخن هلقت تمامخلة واليتا دياني شوخة ورمرامة روخت لوية آشور كت بالتخرخلة قد خارت أرفي تريشة تستد زوعة لدوي قالي قاني فاشي وأن نطلع يماني خين زي خيخوة مغدادة فس خيخوة مغدادة بمولادة زوعة إنا يجبوني يتمريلا أخنن كلن إيوخ رازق مجبون يتمرق مريا من يخلى وخي خذيوخن كلوخن جانوخن بسمه وتوبي شركتوخن هضرتوخن من من قد احبوا يا اسيم يا رب